This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 514 Can a comic collector of over 25 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. The Bat and the Cat Revisited, The Murderous Man Alive, The Ur Crisis, Naomi's History Keeps Getting Revealed, Lois and Clark, Agents of Spiral, A Two-Shot from the Buffyverse, The Enterprise Goes Into Season 5, and the Eisner nominations are in. This is how I got my wife three comics for Sunday, April 27th, 2019. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614 321 9737. That's 614 321 9SFP. Well, we do have four weeks of comics to cover, starting with Batman number 68 and 69 by King Connor, Mounts, Paquette, and Fairburn. We get two different views of the relationship between the bat and the cat, all during Bruce's ongoing nightmare orchestrated by Bane. First up is the bachelorette party that could have been. We meet up with Selena and Lois a few drinks in when they decide to check out the Fortress of Solitude. Supergirl lets them in. They are met by three Superman robots who welcome them in and ask if there's anything they can do for them. Lois suggests wine, and they reply that Cal regularly receives alcohol from around the galaxy as gifts. Sparkling Bliss Sauvignon, New Genesis, aged 562 years. The Unstable Merlot, Durla, aged 43 years. Death to Superman, Cabernet Sauvignon, Kundia. After they get hammered, it's off to the hot tub. Uh, It's the Paradise Pool, or the Treasure Tub, or the Super Spa, or I can't remember. Then they try on some super suits before Lois presents the robots in a strip show. During all of this, Bruce and Clark have a very boring dinner and drinks with nervous small talk. Clark asks Bruce why this must be a nightmare for him, which of course it is. I love being Superman, but I hate that I have to be Superman. You hate being Batman, but you love that you have to be Batman. Jimmy Signal Watch, swiped by Lois, interrupts them to pick up the girls. The final shot is the real Batman in a torture room. Bringing Amanda Connor in for this issue was a stroke of genius. Indeed. The second issue is more atmospheric as we see Bruce and Selina dancing together. We see them dance through their lives as their costume change. We get all of Selina's looks from the original to today. All during this, Bruce explains to her that he knows it's all a scarecrow-induced nightmare with the goal of driving him mad. The only thing that will release him is overcoming his greatest fear, which is that he's not truly in love with her. This is intercut with scenes of Bane and Thomas Wayne moving from a workout to actual killing. Thomas stops Bane from killing him with a gun. You're not like him. You cheat. No, I'm not like him. I win. Now enough. As I said before, Gotham awaits. It is a heartbreaking story. How long has this nightmare been going on? Why can't Bruce just be happy? 
I really wish we could have gone down this route in the actual story, Bruce and Selena together, and I would read the hell out of a Lois Selena comic from Amanda Connor. <laughs> no kidding. Heroes in Crisis number 8 of 9 by King, Gerards, and more. The series has been leading to this. Who's the killer? In a move that lit up the internet, it's none other than Wally West. The entire issue is his confession given to the sanctuary robot therapist. Wally was already on the edge due to the loss of his family and the time stuck in limbo. He was being told he wasn't alone, but he knew that was a lie. He decided to find out what was actually going on at Sanctuary, compiling the footage of the other heroes' therapy sessions. Difficult, but not impossible for a speedster. Why didn't the Trinity see this coming? Seeing all the horror in an instant breaks him. He runs out into the field, and when the others respond to the alarm and go outside, he loses control of the speed force within him for a moment, which wipes them out. Now, if this is where things ended, we might be able to excuse Wally somehow, but it doesn't. He then sets up Booster and Harley, making them think the other was the killer, using the hologram tech, and sets up clues to throw off the Trinity. He even uses Booster's tech to go forward in time to meet himself and kill him. Finally, he sends all the footage, including his confession, to Lois Lane. Now, we know that DC, specifically Dan DiDio, hates Wally, but this is a terrible thing to do to the fans. For me, Barry has been and always will be the Flash, to the point that when Wally took over, I marked his comics in my database to Flash, not THE Flash. But for the generation behind me, Wally is their Flash. With this just DiDio giving those fans who asked him at cons over decades, when is Wally coming back the finger? Or is this a whole Bobby Ewing in the shower thing, and Wally was in a simulator the whole time? If so, how could he and us see how the world changed because of it? Well, either way, we'll find out in the final issue. I don't think it's a simulator because, well, I do. But if it is, it's bad because there were scenes where Wally wasn't involved. Exactly. And if it was a simulator, he wouldn't have seen those. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You see how the rest of the world reacts. Superman at the press conference. Like, how, why would all that exist if it was just a simulator for Wally? Yes. Justice League number 22 by Tinian IV and Manipul. This story has been dragged out so far, and I'm not sure if Tinian has a master plan or is making it up as he goes along. Now we learn of the first crisis, which occurred at the dawn of the multiverse. So is this the same event that Chrono sees? Do his actions create the multiverse or not? Potentia, oh, oh, sorry, Perpetua, creates the first beings, the World Forger, the Monitor, and the Anti-Monitor, and sets them to run the multiverse that she creates out of the Omniverse. Billions of years later, Earth is formed, the inhabitants of which become the armies to fight for Perpetua to avoid being absorbed by the Source Wall. In the end, her children rebel and she's forced into the source anyway. And now the source wall is down, yada, yada, yada. Back in current day, Mitzelplik is rewriting reality while remaining JLAers Mira, Starman, and Jaro watch helplessly. The Legion of Doom arrives, telling that there's only one way to fight Mitzelplik. You catch your own imp and out pops Batmite. At least that's an interesting development. I think crisis-level writing may be beyond Tinian. It's muddled and confusing. As an aside, I think there are way too many Justice League comics right now. DC really needs to pick a Justice League and stick with it. Odyssey needs to end, and Dark needs to be wrapped up as well. I, I agree. 
Naomi, number four from Wonder Comics by Bendis Walker and Campbell. Another layer of the onion is peeled away about our mysterious teenager. Yes, the spaceship is her foster father's. He's actually from Ran. Kind of wish it was a new world. Greg fought along Adam Strange and the Green Lantern Corps. He was sent on special assignments, one of which was to covertly track down a Thanagarian assassin on Earth. Of course, that's the mysterious mechanic D. Tracking him down turned out to be easy. One complication, Greg fell in love with an Earth woman. He then decided to give up his mission and quit the Force, which he assumed would be problematic. D decided the same thing. But they didn't hear about it back about it, at least for a while. Greg and the Earth Woman settled down. One night, both Greg and Dee's interstellar energy alerts went off, and they separately investigated. Unknown alien warriors teleport in, one of which has a baby. The alien mom is zapped by the others, and they depart, leaving the baby, Naomi. Dee can't handle the baby, so the couple adopt her. Oh, and there's some artifact that came with her, and when Naomi takes it, it lights up, and more next issue. Just a fascinating origin story. Action Comics number 1010 by Bendis, Epning, and Anderson. Well, the whole Lois and Clark Agents of Spiral thing didn't last very long. We begin, though, with Mr. Bones being confronted by Kate Spencer, who is there to collect evidence from the attack on the DEO. Bones realizes it's not really Kate. It's someone there to clean up the mess. Back to our Spiral agents who have made it to London... Lois remarking on the Peter Pan parallel and reminding Clark to stop when he realizes he's acting like he's undercover. Just be undercover. We cut to a fake splash page teasing how they became agents, involving a fight between Checkmate and Spiral, which includes the classic character strips on the side showing the main players involved. That was a good story. A quick check-in with Jimmy and Amanda left in the fortress. Jimmy is now convinced Amanda is Leviathan. Chaz and Andy check in with Spiral Agent Tiger, and both sides distrust the other. Chaz sees something happening outside and pushes the others into the panic room before switching to the red and blue underoos. Tiger, oh my god, Chaz was Superman the whole time? (laughs) Cal fights the same creature Mr. Bone saw and throws him into the sun and then returns to find Andy and Tiger gone. Well, we had two books from the Buffyverse come in. Buffy the Vampire Slayer number four by Belair, Mora, and Angelo, and Angel Zero by Hill, Melenkoff, and Casada, both from Boom Studios. After a slight forward jump, Buffy is easing into the Slayer life. She's becoming better at her job. The Scooby Gang is being trained by Giles. In fact, things have quieted down, and Giles considers it too quiet, so he's convinced something big is coming. But for now, he gives the squad the night off to rest and relax. Xander suggests a movie. Tiger Woman, Wrath of the Beast, and Willow suggests Robin come too. Buffy has a domestic moment with her mom and Eric, the latter of which quietly mentions how Buffy is hiding injuries. It's all ruined, though, when Buffy's lost phone is found by Spike and Drusilla, who lure in Xander with fake text. In the end, Xander is bitten, while a face in the shadows watches Angel. This transfers right into his new title. The first two pages are just a reprint of the last two Buffy pages. We get the standard origin spiel. Ancient vampire with no soul is cursed to be given one, so now Angel tries to atone for his crimes. He's now training a new pupil, Helen, who is a new character, in the ways of fighting. We see him at home later enjoying a glass of O-negative and purposely burning his arm in the daylight. 
He checks in with Fifi on a new case, and she gives him a magical trinket to track the demon involved. Of course, it all goes pear-shaped, and Helen is killed in the attack. Angel realizes he must work alone. Fifi suggests he leave L.A. How does Sunnydale sound? So how close is this to the Angel TV series? Um, well, at this point, not at all, because the Angel TV series didn't start until like two or three years into Buffy. Right. So Angel was introduced on Buffy, and he only interacted with Buffy um, first. We never knew anything about his prior story, except later in flashbacks. I think he was introduced strictly as a love interest conflict for Buffy. And so, you know, he didn't have the same angsty thing that he had later on in the comics. Gotcha. And then he became popular and they went, oh, got another series here. Yeah. Star Trek Year 5, number one from IDW by Lansing, Kelly, Thompson, and Kirchhoff. The final year of the original non-Kelvin Kirk and Company run has never been fully explored. Fans have suggested that the animated series or the novels or the various web series filled that gap, but this is the first time it's been stated up front. It begins with a flash-forward showing Kirk giving his final log entry as a shadowy figure is about to kill him on the bridge. Before that, the Enterprise is setting up a techno-babble device to stop a supergiant star explosion from wiping out a sector of space. Spock gives us all the details, and when Kirk says, Your objections are noted, Spock replies he is merely stating facts, then quotes Kirk, Risk is our business. Of course, it all goes fine, off the page. And McCoy celebrates with Kirk and Saurian Brandy, only to learn that Kirk has been offered an admiralty. Of course, Kirk is torn. Scotty and Spock have a moment, which foreshadows Scotty gaining weight down the line. The Enterprise gets a call from Tholian space they investigate, only to find a mostly dead Tholian city. With the exception of one that attacks them, Spock calmly breaks his hand, punching it, and another one, a Tholian child, which Kirk beams up with them. Based on Kirk's narration, this kicks off the whole storyline. The writing here is excellent, capturing the personalities of the characters, and the artwork is decent. Let's hope IDW actually lets the whole story play through. The Eisner Award nominations have been announced. Image and DC got the most nominations with 19 and 17, respectively. Image swept the new series category. Bitterroot, Crowded, Gideon Falls, Isola, Maneaters, and Skyward. Tom King was involved with most of DC's noms. Swamp Thing Winter Special, Best Story, Best Writer. Batman, Best Continuing, Best Writer. Mr. Miracle, Best Limited, Best Writer, Best Pencilist, Best Cover Artist. Heroes in Crisis, Best Writer, as well as Marvel's Vision, Best Graphic Album Reprint. Other DC noms were Batman White Knight, Best Limited. Eternity Girl, Best Limited, Best Penciler Inker. Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, Best Limited. Mad Magazine, Best Humor Publication, Best Short Story. Green Lantern, Earth One, Volume One, Best Graphic Album New. Action Comics, 80 Years of Superman, Best Archival Collection Project Comic Books. Mark Russell for Green Lantern, and Huckleberry Hound, and Lex Luthor, Porky Pig, Best Writer. Lee Bermejo for Batman Damned, Best Painter. Joshua Middleton for Batgirl and Aquaman Variants, Best Cover Artist. Jordi Belair for Batgirl and Batman, Best Coloring. Nathan Fairborn for Batman, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman, Earth 1, Volume 2, Best Coloring. Matt Hollingsworth for Batman White Knight, Best Coloring. Jared Fletcher for Batman Damned, Best Lettering. Todd Klein for Batman White Knight, Eternity Girl, Books of Magic, Best Lettering. 
Black Hammer got four nominations, Best Continuing Series, Best Writer, Best Penciling, and Best One-Shot for Cthulhuese. Good for them. Yeah. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest growing game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Are you ready, Mark? I'm ready. Okay, I'm pushing the button. Avengers. No. No? That was last week. We wow. missed it. Wow. <laughs> I just assumed. <laughs> Sorry. That was an off week cover. Wow. So we didn't get to play for the Avengers. <laughs> Too okay. bad. Okay. Uh, uh, movie related? Yes. Uh, is it a movie coming out? Uh, yes. Is it a franchise? Um, I mean, is it, uh, is, it a, is it a sequel or prequel or anything like that? Um, I'm going to say sort of, but not really. Sort of, but not really. Uh, I assume it's uh, they hope it's a tentpole release. Uh, yes. Okay. Is it genre related? Um. No. Okay. Huh. It's not. Is it a drama? Um. Yes. <laughs> um. 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 Uh. It's it's kind of a drama. Okay. Um. Uh. Is it well? It's not like uh, like Oscar bait. They wouldn't be bringing out Oscar no. bait this early. No. Hmm, and dr- it may not be coming out until like later. Huh. Okay. I will give you a clue. We've seen previews for it. Oh, geez. Um, uh, Do you want another clue? Uh, well, is it one person on the cover? No. Two? No. Three? No. Four? No. Five? No. Six? No. Anybody on the cover? Is there any person on the cover? No. There's no human beings on the cover. Correct. Um, is it? Uh, is there an animal on the cover? Yes. Is it that a dog's life journey, memory, no. whatever it was? No, it's not. <laughs> it's a dog on the cover. It's not a dog. Oh, it's, it's not an a animal. Dog. An animal. <laughs> a cat. Well, sort of. <laughs> or sort of. Oh, it's the Lion King. Yes, it is the Lion King. <laughs> Boy, it took you long enough. You had six seconds left. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Tumblr.com slash blog slash SFPPN. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.